Today is that day of the year where we are going to get ready to start our small groups again. And immediately I say that, and some of you go, I knew I should have gone to the lake this morning. <laughs> and, and I understand, because I know that for some people, um, living amongst other people is a very scary thing because it's, um, it's easier to be found out if you're living a lie or you're pretending to be someone that you're not. You know, it, um, it's, it's, it's harder when you're always around a certain group of people when you go through something hard because it's pretty obvious and, and it's, <laughs> it's kind of hard to hide it. And as humans, we are bent towards hiding those kinds of things, our shortcomings, our failures, our hard times. You know what I mean? Like we, we're, we're really iffy on this whole idea of um, being transparent with other people. But I would tell you that that kind of living where we are completely transparent with a certain group of people, especially um, when we are believers in Jesus and that other group of people, those people are believers in Jesus, that that is the way God designed us to live. And when we go about our life without that, and when we have these struggles and we have these burdens on us and things like that, and it seems like it's, we are overwhelmed the reason that we struggle through those times is because we don't have that group of people to be with. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've been sometimes, I, I've been in a place where it seemed very lonely. Um, and I've been in a place where I absolutely was not alone no matter where I turned. And I will choose that way every single time. Even if that means people around me knowing that I'm a mess up knowing that even though I have the word pastor before my name, that I'm a sinner, knowing that I absolutely don't always make the right decision on how I talk to Brooke or my kids, knowing that I don't always make the right decisions with finances or that I struggle with wanting things that I shouldn't have or maybe God doesn't want me to have or that I struggle with selfishness with my time and the things that are mine and, and the people that are around me a lot, they know those things. And it's amazing... They, they still hang around me. And you would think that, well, you know, if people knew those things about me, then they wouldn't like me, which is just silly to begin with because everyone has those struggles, right? And we all have those shortcomings. And, and I believe that when we say some of the things that we say at Heritage, that if we truly believe those things then we need to make a few changes maybe in the way we go about living, uh, maybe in our schedule, maybe in our finances, maybe in how we treat people, maybe in the people that surround us. And, and I'm going to talk about that today because we have some things at Heritage that are core values. We say some things like growing, sharing, serving. Um, and we all start saying that and we talk about it. We've been doing it for eight years but in order for us to truly live that way, I believe with all of my heart that doing it in a group of people is easier than trying to do it on your own. 
okay? And if you want to disagree with me, we can come up and we can fight it out after this service. But if you're going to disagree with me, you better show a bunch of proof in the chart of your spiritual growth, in the way that you're sharing Christ with other people, and that you're doing all of these things that God wants you to do by yourself. Because if you don't have that proof to show me, then I'm going to tell you that you're wrong. Because I've done and tried to do those things by myself before. I've been in the church culture where everyone kind of seems to think that their relationship with Jesus is their own private matter and it's really no one else's business and it doesn't work as well. I've seen it. And then I've seen people living in community, in family, where it's okay to be not perfect and yet I've seen people pray in the middle of a living room floor to come to know Jesus amongst people who were just trying to love them no matter their sin and their faults. And I've seen people come up on this stage and surround this baptism for some one person to be baptized because that one person was part of that extended family and there was so much excitement that they couldn't withhold it. It was almost like their own, own family member being baptized. So I know that this works and I know that it's important. God himself is community in three persons. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He himself is like that. He's not, he's not alone. Even in the very beginning of the Bible, just like the song we sang earlier, there's conversations going on between the Godhead. And he created us this way. We know that in the beginning, in Genesis 2, the Bible says that it's not good for man to be alone. And usually we take that and we say, you know, it's good for man to have a woman with him. And that usually is a pretty good good situation, but it also um, speaks to our fundamental need to connect with other people. If, if it wasn't important, God could have just made one man, Adam, and, and said, okay, it's good, but he said, no, there, there's got to be people, and he, and he chose a family to be his family, the, the Israelites, the Jewish people, the Hebrews, right, and he, and he wants them to be part of this community. When, the, when Jesus came to earth, did he need the disciples? Absolutely not. They messed things up half the time anyways. But he, he knew the importance of surrounding himself with people that he could love, that could love him. He knew the energy of, of being involved in that extended family. And when he left and went to heaven, the disciples, they went ahead and just kept doing it. They created these house churches where people were not just a people of four people that lived in this home, but it was a lot of people, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 people as extended family, living as family, sharing everything they had, food, you know, whatever it was, but all of those things that they did in life were second to their main purpose of spreading God's word together as a group to the people that did not know him yet, which is, by the way, why we know about Jesus today. So it does work. In our modern culture, one author says that small groups are often viewed merely as a program or a fellowship ministry within the church. But for the New Testament church, that, that first church, it was a way of life encompassing every area of their lives. Their relationships with one another were critical to the pursuit of Jesus, their growth in Christ, and their witness to the good news. It would be impossible to experience biblical community apart from spiritually significant, intentional relationships with other believers. Let me read that sentence again. It would be impossible to experience biblical community apart from spiritually significant, intentional relationships with other believers. 
Relational structures like small groups, missional communities, whatever, are therefore an integral part of being the church and not just doing the church. Sydney's been saying that for eight and a half years, right? We don't want to just do church. We want to be the church. And really saying that, you know, when, when the New Testament church started in the book of Acts, they were the church. That's where that is, is they were being the church. They, they didn't have any other way of being or doing. They just were, were doing and being at the same time. It was all the same together because Jesus had just left, give them all the instructions, and they said, absolutely, we're going to obey him because he just died and raised from the dead and then floated into heaven. Why would we not listen to him? And then 2,000-something years later, we have everything that we have surrounding us and a lot of that mystery and and, and, and a lot of that miraculous things that he did has been lost on us. And so we show up at church on Sunday mornings and we sing songs and, and every once in a while we bust out the 60-second Bible in the morning because we want to do something right. I mean, come on. And, and all of a sudden it's, it's flipped. Instead of this being every integral part of what we do, it's it's this is one thing of my whole life, you know, me, mine, and now, you know, trying to take care of mine and what I got and, and, and providing and doing all these things and, and all the things I'm good at and, and, and um, hobbies and, and job and family and all this stuff, vacation and, and church is one thing that we do. And so it's completely flipped. So at Heritage, we say this. We say growing, sharing, serving. We said that from the get-go. I was, we had a really good weekend this weekend, we uh, had Friday night, we had a big dinner for all of our small group missional community leaders in the fellowship hall. Sweet time of worship and prayer, um, good food. Yesterday morning, we had a time of planning for this school year of small groups and training. It's been really good, and I was, we were talking back, and I was reminding uh, them, some of them they didn't, they didn't know because they weren't here eight and a half years ago, but when we first started Heritage, their summer before we started Heritage, most nights... Myself and Brooke were, find ourselves at Sydney and Meredith's home at the dining room table. I think their kids were about two, four, and six. Ainsley was one, and Braxton was in Brooke's tummy, and I don't even think we knew it yet at the time. And, 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 uh, and it was funny because, you know, most nights around midnight or one, Sydney and Brooke would be, like, falling asleep. Sydney would move to his recliner, and me and Meredith would be sitting there talking, and we're still going, and and typing stuff on the computer and, and praying and asking God what he thought we should do and, and what things would sound good. And we'd say something and all of a sudden Sid would wake up and he'd have something to say about that. And, <laughs> and, we, and we were like, go back to sleep, me and Meredith, we'll, we'll start the church. You, go, you sleep. <laughs> so, sometimes you need people like me and Meredith to organize things. And then Sid and, and Brooke, they come in and make everything look good and do it right way. You know what I'm saying? So... You know how important you are. <laughs> but one of the things that God told us, he said, growing, sharing, serving is important. Growing spiritually, sharing life together, and serving the world. We said that from day one. And then when we started trying to figure out discipleship and small groups and what that would look like, we started going to all these conferences and reading all these books. And people kept saying the same thing. They would say, up, in, out. You know, up, in our church and out of people outside the wall, or they would say communion, community, and commission, or things like that. And we said, hey, we've already been saying growing, sharing, serving. Same thing. Let's just stick with it, because we've already been saying that to our people. Growing, sharing, serving. Growing, sharing, serving. We like say it all the time so that hopefully you guys would start saying it, and that when you're talking to people, you would say, yeah, well, we're, you know, we're just about growing, sharing, serving. And then it would just become a culture, growing, sharing, serving. So when we start missional communities, 
The reason for this Venn diagram is that those are the circles, growing, sharing, and serving. And when we live this balanced life, when everything comes together, when you're growing spiritually, sharing life with a group of believers, and then also serving the world, which, by the way, doesn't just mean doing good things for them. It means serving them with the best thing we have to offer, which is the name of Jesus, right? Then that is the balanced life Jesus has called us to live in, and he was our great example. We talked about that this weekend with the group leaders. He, he was a perfect example of that. Jesus oftentimes, the scripture says, often he would retreat away to a quiet place to spend time with his father, right? He, he enveloped this, this, uh, this life of living with other people and the disciples. And his, he had close friends, close friends. You know, people like Mary and Martha and Lazarus. These people, he loved them. These people weren't just people that lived in a city that he passed by. I mean, clearly, as you read about their relationship, he loved them. They had a very close relationship. And then, obviously, Jesus was the king of being a servant to all. He would heal people. He would meet their needs. But he would also make sure that they had a complete, awesome, one-on-one interaction with the king of kings, the Messiah, so that they would be changed life forever and have eternal life with him. He was perfect at this example. And so we want to follow his example. And so today, in light of growing, sharing, serving, and this idea of being involved in a smaller group, group of people that are trying to move with one single purpose together, um, we're going to base all of this today off our six core values. Six more things that me and Meredith came up with by ourselves. Um, <laughs> just kidding. No, actually, we had all these things that we thought these were really good core values. We probably had like 15 or 20 things we kept narrowing down. You remember that? And we would say, oh, okay, well, this is kind of just the same thing as saying this. And, well, that's important, but is it a value? You know, what if four years down the road we, that changes? And what's really amazing is that eight and a half years down the road, we believe that God gave us those six core values that day during that time period because eight and a half years later, those core values are still our core values. Those things have not changed. And so today, if you are one of those people that can't name all six core values at Heritage, this is going to be a little bit of a good refresher course for you to remind you, what you when you say that you're part of the Heritage family, it's not just enough for us to say from the top that these are core values. If they're not core values in your life, then they're not core values for Heritage because we are Heritage. Amen? So, first core value, authentic community. That works out really good with when we're talking about trying to live in a small group environment, missional community, those kinds of things. Authentic community. This word was really important to Sydney in the beginning. Authentic. What is authentic? Real? Yeah, real people living real life together. The word real is in there two times. Real people living real life together. One of my closest friends is uh, Colt McDowell. This is off the cuff. I didn't mean to say this stuff. but um, Colt's in my small group. And uh, Colt is authentic. And I, and I think that's why we're really good friends. Because I have a, um, a habit, maybe, of Brooke would say being more authentic than I should be sometimes. <laughs> or more transparent. And I was talking to Sid about that the other day. I think it's because when I grew up, you know, I grew up in, 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 a, in a pastor's home. My father was a pastor, and everything had to be secretive. You know, and a lot of you, you know that, that, right? I mean, that's a generational thing, some of you, but it's also sometimes a cultural thing. 
um, where, you know, you don't want anybody in the outside world to know that your family has any kind of problems. Um, and so, you know, every time we would sit down to dinner and, and conversations many times in my home as a kid would start out like this. Now, you can't say anything to anybody, but... <laughs> And as I got older and older, I, I hated that. I was like, stop, don't tell me. If I can't say anything to anyone, I'd rather not know what the problem is because that just is driving me crazy. I got all these secrets, and eventually, you know, a 13-year-old kid, they're going to come out to somebody. I just can't keep all that in. And so as I became an adult, I think I just started telling everybody everything. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> most of the people that I spend time with, they know, like, my debt, my net worth, my sin, my... My prayer from that morning, my fights with Brooke, the things that I struggle with, the people I like, the people I don't care for in the world, they, I, I just say everything, and then, you know, thankfully, uh, Jesus put the right people around me that they put up with me anyways. I think, though, as I began to do this, that people felt comfortable around me because they thought, well, maybe if Brian, the pastor, would say some of these things, maybe it's okay if I'm not perfect, too, and we have a really good family. So... Authentic community. Let me read this passage of scripture to you. In Hebrews chapter 10, we, we read this verse a lot in church, I feel like, because I've been in church my whole life, and this is one of those verses that I've heard more than any other verse. My problem with that is, if we read this verse so often, why is it that we don't um, strive to live out this verse more, more, like, more like it says we should? And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, right off the bat, um, people come to my mind that are really good at encouraging and stirring up one another to love and to do right things. And right off the bat, people come to my mind who usually just beat people down. Does those two types of people come to your mind? Probably even got names. Don't, don't shout them out. I would say that hopefully, um, instead of us thinking about other people, we would take these things in our own hearts today and ask ourselves, am I the kind of person that everyone else is thinking that knows me right now that stirs them on toward love and good works, or am I the kind of person that is beating them down constantly, telling them where they're wrong, and, and trying to fix them. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. If it's become your habit to... Uh, I've also been in churches where people are like, if you don't show up at church every week, this means here that you're in the wrong. And you know that we don't consider Sunday morning to be the end-all, be-all, but we do believe this is an important place for us to worship as a family and grow spiritually. But I also believe this means they weren't talking about a one-hour meeting once a week. That we should not neglect to meet together. That throughout your week, you should be stirring up one another to love and good works. Because how in the world will we do love and good works to one another if we only encourage each other for a very short percentage of our week? But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you see the day drawing near more today than 20 years ago? If you don't know what I mean, I mean the day when everything basically goes to hell and Jesus finally comes back because he can't take it anymore. So if the day is drawing near more today than it was before, 
then all the more encouraging one another toward love and good works. So that the day that when we, like we saying before, Jesus, we can't wait until you come again, that we will be living the lives worthy of being called Christian, that he wants us to live when he does come back. You can't do these things on your own. So authentic community is important. And if authentic community is a core value at Heritage, then you must have to be living with other people in order to live in authentic community. You can't just say, I'm really real with that guy in the mirror. You know, I tell him everything. We're honest. We talk about everything. I have my little talk in the morning, and, I, and me and him, we're, we're good, and I tell my, my mirror everything. We're authentic, and I'm authentic with my spouse. Man, I tell her everything that's wrong with her, you know? <laughs> uh, I'm authentic. In our family, we're authentic, but I'm not going to be that's not That doesn't cut it. You can't just be authentic in your four walls and then walk out the door and pretend like everything's, um, you know, gravy. Gravy? We're going to cut that, cut that out. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I guess that meant good. His gravy is good. All right. Next core value. This is really good. Did you, can you believe that eight and a half years ago that we thought that one of our core values should be family? And here we are eight and a half years later, and how often do we talk about Family. All of a sudden, gospel families come along, this whole new ministry. Uh, you know, my brother's written this wonderful book. It's, it's growing the ministry, gospel family. People are trying to, to take these things and put them in their homes and make Jesus be the center of their home and, and family devotionals and family worship. And people are taking people in their families on mission trips to Nicaragua and to Poland and to all these places, to Miami and South Florida. And, and, and people are trying their best to live as a gospel family. Family is important in the midst of all the things that are going on in our world that are trying to completely tear apart God's plan for family. We knew and God showed us that family had to be a core value. It wasn't just because we knew that right away we would have lots of kids. It's because we knew, or at least God knew, that as we moved forward, that it was going to be an uphill climb in order for us to continue saying that family is a core value at Heritage. If family is a core value in your home, then you will value your family being around other families who say that family is a core value in their home. If you try to grow up your family by yourself in your four walls, you will fail. I promise. God didn't put us together like that. He didn't mean for it to be that way. I mean, we all tell these stories like, you know, when I grew up, you could spank anybody's kid and things like that. And, and now, you know, you, you even yell at another kid and, you know, you got to fight and jail and all these things happening. It's awful. But probably, you know, I'm not talking about just the punishment, but this idea that you could look at my child and you could say something to her and encourage her, that should be a good thing. It should be. Because you're gonna, I mean, I know that Miss Joe sees my kids when I can't see them. I know Miss Gail sees my kids when I can't see them. I know Miss Meredith sees my kids when I can't see them. I know eventually my kids are gonna be in youth ministry on Wednesday night. And Melvin, you're allowed to whoop Braxton anytime you want. <laughs> he can take it. Don't touch Ainsley, but you can hit Braxton. <laughs> I really don't mean to be so funny. 
Family is a core value. God's tool of reaching and discipling the next generation of believers. One of my favorite things, when my small group gets together with other families and I see kids playing, I love going into people's homes and they have the four G's uh, plastered on their wall. God is great. I don't have to be in control. Remember those? God is glorious. I don't have to fear others. God is gracious. I don't have to prove myself. God is good. I don't have to look elsewhere for satisfaction. I love when I go into people's homes and they have a big old picture of our entire 40-something people small group up on a shelf. Family's a core value. And when you're involved in a missional community into a small group, when your family struggles and goes through hard times, there's people to walk through that with you. If you believe that family's a core value for you, wouldn't you want other people around you? What about when you struggle with getting pregnant? What about when you get pregnant? What about when the kid comes out and they ain't no food at the house and everything's filthy? Who's taking care of all these things? What about when your parent goes through cancer? What about when your marriage starts to fall apart? Who's walking through you with all these things? What about when you cannot quit drinking? Who's walking through all these things with you? By yourself? Good luck. Good luck. If family is truly a core value to you, you would not live on your own by your family. You wouldn't. So you can't say family is a core value then if you don't believe that. I promise you, you've got to surround yourself with other people. One of my favorite verses, we read this recently at some point, Joshua 24, 15. And he says, if it's in evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, if it's evil, if it seriously is evil for you to serve the Lord, if you would rather choose all these other gods, he says, choose this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, the gods the Amorites in the land that you dwell. I would say, if it's your, if it's your choice to choose the god of, of finances or your choice to choose the god of business or sports or, or fun or popularity or power or whatever it is, if it's your job, if it's your choice to choose any of those gods, so be it. But Joshua stands up in front of the great crowd of people and he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The first thing about making family a core value in your family is saying no matter whatever else goes on around me, no matter what, who else chooses what, no matter whatever, uh, no matter what bar is set by any other situation or, or, or thing going on in my entire world, first off, my family is going to choose to serve the Lord Jesus, period. We're not, going to, we're not going to swerve from that. We're going to do that. And then family is my core value. I'm going to align myself with other families who are trying their best to say that same thing. Because there's going to come a day where we wake up and things have, are not going so well and all of a sudden... Me saying that no matter what in the world, my family's going to follow the Lord Jesus, and then something awful happens that I didn't expect, and all of a sudden that becomes really hard to say that. But if I'm living by myself, I might end up taking another route. But if there's people that are encouraging me toward love and good deeds, they may help me stay on the path, even in the darkness. The next core value of heritage is this. People matter. God values people, so should we. This is really important to us because not everyone 
is the same. Look around. Not everyone earns the same money, lives in the same neighborhood. Not everyone has the same cars. Not everyone has the same background or cultural or everyone doesn't come from Florida, obviously. And uh, we're all different. Different ages, different colors, different likes, different dislikes, different opinions, different whatever. Some people got family with a mom, a dad, and two and a half kids. Some people got a mom and three kids. Some people got just a mom and dad. Some people just got a a, a mom. Some people just got single people. Family, we're all different. And God values every single one of us, no matter who we are, where we're at. That means we need to value every single person, no matter where they are. You know, one of the times we were talking about this small group I did, and someone said to me, said, you know, it's, sometimes it's hard because a lot of the stuff we talk about at Harry's is about family, and people go, you know, well, if I'm a single mom or single dad or, or if I don't have kids, then maybe I don't fit into a group because most of the people in that group are a mom and dad with kids and things like that, and that's difficult. And a lot of times groups start out as being kind of a lot alike, you know. I mean, it's kind of our nature to, to, to gravitate toward people who are like us, you know, kind of your age, kind of where you are in life. I mean, that's normal. You read any kind of book or anything like that, they're going to tell you you're basically your best five friends. You know, you, you basically are the same person as the five closest people to you because that's who we gravitate to. And so sometimes small groups start that way. But when small groups begin living missional, in their DNA, when small groups begin inviting people in who are so-and-so's neighbor or so-and-so says, hey, I work with this person, they're going to start coming to small group with this, or I met this person at a meeting, or I met this person at the park, or this person, their kids go to our school, where our kids go to, we're going to invite. And all of a sudden, groups begin to change because the people being invited in are different than every single person else. But God values people. People matter. So people come in. I want to introduce you today to someone who I love very much. Her name is Dawn. Where are you at, Dawn? Come on up here. I told you I was going to do this. Come on. This isn't off the cuff. It kind of is. But um, here, let me get a microphone so people can hear your wonderful voice. Dawn's one of my favorite people in the world. She's also one of the... Come up here. I'm short. I can't stand down there. Um, Don's also one of the teachers um, at, that she was standing up earlier that we prayed for. So Don has a lot of uh, influence. Here you go, um, with the students there at the middle school at the charter school. And Don is part of my small group. She has two awesome kids. Uh, Caleb and Travis are two of the funnest boys to be around, and they're here today. Now Don is not part of the Heritage family as far as you know. I'm a member of Heritage or whatever that means. Um, she has another church family, and she'll tell us about that. But but Dawn is part of our small group, um, and I'm just going to let you say what you want to say and how that happened and who was invited and why has that been important for you as a, as a single mom. Yeah. Okay. Um, first of all, I am a teacher, so when Brian asked me to do this, I sat down and I'm like, I normally don't speak in front of adults, but I do speak every day in front of kids. So my teacher friends, I came up with my lesson topic my lesson goals, my lesson <laughs> objectives, and trying to match it to meet our FSA standards. So, <laughs> which it did not work too well for that. But um, Brian asked me to speak seriously because I am a single mom. I never imagined myself in this role, but God has put a lot of people in my path to help me do this. 
the Williams small group, one of the biggest one, and even Pastor Sid and his family have been amazing. I do attend church. My boys and I have um, been at the Warehouse Vineyard Fellowship here in Leesburg for many years, but I could not do what I do and have my boys be the boys they are without so many of you sitting in this group right now. Um, so my goal is today to make sense and not to cry. So hopefully I'll accomplish those. My family loves small group. We've been a part of it for a couple years. Brooke Williams, God put her next door to me. I've been in my same classroom for many years. Brooke only spent two small years next door to me. But I remember saying, you know, Dawn, I think you and your boys should go camping with us. I'm like, camping? That's not something you would do as a single mom. But she's, no, we're going to rent cabins, and we're going to go to Lake, it's in Claremont, Lake Louisa. And so we went, and it was the best weekend ever. And my boys got to see Christian men interact in a family unit, which is important to me. So we look forward to that every single week. Um, my small group has been there so much for me, from taking my boys last Christmas to letting them pick out Christmas gifts and I will say, Sharice, they kept it secret until Christmas morning. So Sharice took them shopping, which it was the first time in years I'd had anything under our tree. Um, and my boys were so excited to gift that to me, so thank you for that. My boys have gotten to see godly men come over and take care of our lawn. My son Caleb at 10 is now fighting with Travis to mow our lawn every week because Pastor Sid and his son Caleb and Tyler, one of my former students, came over and showed my boys how to take care of a lawn and that that is something that they should do. So that's been amazing. And so as a non-member of Heritage, it may sound like a cliche, but it does take a village to raise a child. I see Caleb's former teacher who loved him so much, Miss Oliver, and um, I'm thankful for this church. You've made a difference in my kid's life. Last week, we came to your picnic, and we saw many children be baptized. When we left there, Caleb must have thought about it all night long because he gets in the car Monday after school, and he goes, Mom, I want to get baptized. Mm -hmm. so, so you all have made a difference in his life. I mean, my 10-year-old is not being raised with a godly father in his house, but he sees lots of godly men on a weekly basis, and he wants to be like you guys. So mm. next weekend, we are attending it at our church. Our children's pastor that's watched him since he was an infant is going to baptize him, but he will be a member of God's community. So we will still be here, and I just um, want to thank you guys and the Williams family and everybody that's loved us through it all. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> Perfect. People matter. Jesus was another great example of that. In Luke chapter 5, it says this, After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And, and you know, if you've been in church at all, you know what tax collectors were thought of and not really known to have a great reputation. You know, if you were going to start a, a movement like Jesus was trying to do and started the very first church of all time, you probably wouldn't pick this guy. But Jesus said to him, follow me. Leave everything. And he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. 
And there was a large company of tax collectors. Only people Levi knew that would show up at his house to invite, so he invited them. And other people reclined at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Jesus' disciples, why did you guys eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus, overhearing them, you always notice, like, they're always trying to say something to the disciples, and Jesus is, like, has super hearing, so he's, like, at the table with his food and drink, and he's like, ah, no, we're not going to do that. He's gonna, plus the disciples, they probably would have answered stupidly. So he stands up and walks over, and he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. When we first started Heritage, and we were going through this whole process, we went to a uh, church planting conference weekend at Lake Yale. And one of the things that we did was we drew a, kind of like a, a graph, you know, just like a, a big plus sign. And, and we had like, you know, uh, one corner had... Christians, one corner had non-Christians, you know, Christians that were going to church, this is what it was, Christians going to church, Christians no longer going to church, non-Christians, and whatever I didn't say. Anyways, the point of this is that we said when we start Heritage, our goal was going to be to reach not yet Christians going to church and not yet Christians not going to church. That we knew that believers were going to come along. That God would send saints to help us do what we were trying to accomplish. But we also knew that we were not going to plant a church and try to do everything churchy so that other churched people would leave their churches and come to our cool new thing. Wasn't, wasn't on the radar. And I believe that it's because Jesus said... That those who are well are not in need of a physician. It wasn't about trying to build the biggest, coolest thing so that we could fill up the room and say, look what we did. We were going to follow his example and we were going to go to the people who needed him the most. People matter. The next one is this. Kingdom perspective and as we talk this weekend with the small group leaders, this one does tend to really get in your business. Because everything that goes on today, especially in the country where we live, is the opposite of this core value. See, saying that you have a kingdom perspective is not talking about your kingdom. It's talking about Jesus' kingdom. Yet every single thing I see, everything that's thrown my way, Everything that people say on purpose or on accident, every book I read, every show I watch is about Brian's kingdom and about how I can build it and make it better and bigger and sustain it. Everything. Everything. All about my kingdom. And so when I look back and I go, oh yeah, <laughs> one of my core values is supposed to be Jesus's kingdom perspective then all of a sudden that makes me start questioning a lot of the things that are going on in my mind a lot of my reasons for making the decisions that I'm making kingdom perspective means influencing the unchurched the sick 
those that don't yet know Jesus, by planting seeds of faith and using our time, abilities, and resources unselfishly. How often do I fail at doing that? How often do I, do I make sure that my time, my abilities, and my resources go toward building my kingdom and that they're used selfishly for me and my family, who I'm supposed to be taken care of, so in God's name, the guy that gave me my wife and kids, I'm going to just do everything I can to take care of us. Do you hear the heresy in that sentence? And how often have I chosen to say, well, God gave me these things. He must want me to be first thinking about Brooke and Braxton and Ainsley first. When... He gave them to me as a gift, and he could just as easily remove them from me, and it still wouldn't change the one thing he asked me to do is to build his kingdom. And that's really hard to say that as a, as a dad. But Matthew 6 says this, reminds us, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Those treasures could be anything. It could be your, your home or your um, net worth or your wife and children. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, which would be people coming to know Jesus, people being baptized, churches being planted where there's no churches, treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. As hard as it is these days to live where we live, to have a kingdom perspective, I know it's basically impossible to live that way if you're not living in a small group community where everyone else is trying their best to encourage you to do that, because everyone else in this world is encouraging you to do the opposite. So I don't know if you're like a betting person. I used to be, no longer. If you like the odds of you against the world, good luck with that. Because I'll take the people that love me and that I've surrounded myself with me all day long before I try to do Brian on his own. Because Brian on his own is, is, is really no very, not very good. That's going to be setting myself up for failure. So if I want to truly have a kingdom perspective, if I want to think about my time and my abilities and my money and my resources going towards Jesus and building his kingdom, I better have some other people around me who are at least trying their best to do the same thing so that it will encourage me. Because if it's not, I guarantee you, with my selfishness, I will quickly look away and go back to building my kingdom. Small groups are important. The next core value for heritage is relational evangelism. It's kind of hard to say. It's two longer words. But if you know our pastor, you know how much that this is important to us because this is how he lives his life on a daily basis. He is consistently walking around about everything he does, looking with eyes wide open for who Jesus is going to shove into his face for the purpose of him introducing them to Jesus. Man, I want to be like that. So, so often, and you know, in the personalities, you know, I mean, I'm a doer, I'm a, I'm a to-do list guy, I'm a checker offer, and I am, 
I am, you know, doing my thing. And, and I know that there are times that God puts people in my face and gives a conversation starter and makes it as easy as possible. And all I got to do is just turn my mind off for a second and see what he's doing. And I would be experiencing the relational evangelism that he wants me to experience and become friends with these people and show them the truth and the light and the hope and the joy that I have, not because of anything that I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. Because those things are attractive and most likely Holy Spirit's already been doing so much work in that person's life. All I got to do is like shut up for a second and watch what God does. I mean, it would be amazing. Relational evangelism. When you live in a small group, it's way easy to do this. We were, I was telling the, the small group leaders yesterday about third place events. You know, you hear us say that from time to time. The Omni is a third place event. You know, when, we, when you do this kind of thing and you're trying to reach unchurched people, we know this. Sunday morning church is really intimidating to invite a non-believer to, right? Uh, my friend Bill O'Brien, he came to know the Lord. What age, Bill? 30... You know, you know the date. 40 years old. And he said, before I became a believer, I was an adult, and I thought Christians were kooks. I thought they were crazy. I thought they were in there beating people over the heads with Bibles. And if you had invited me to show up and wake up early on a Sunday morning, my day off, to come to church and worship, why in the world would I have done that? That doesn't even make any sense. The second place that it's really hard to invite a non-believer to is your house for a Bible study. That's even weirder. Hey, man, I'm so good to meet you. I'm glad you moved here. You know, me and like eight other families are going to show up and study the Bible Monday night in my home. Would you like to come? No. <laughs> no, that's like the weirdest sounding thing of, of all time. But if I say to them, hey, did you know on this, uh, the last Sunday of every month, me and a bunch of my friends, we show up at the Wildwood Park and we eat sandwiches and play kickball. Y'all like doing that? Yeah, yeah that could, I could do that. And all of a sudden, it's an easy end. If I show up at the park by myself, just me and my family, no one talks to us. <laughs> so I know that relational evangelism is easier in a group of people because if you show up with 12 families and you know, 25 kids and everyone's loving each other, that's really attractive. And you have a big kickball game going on, someone might go, hey, you know, I mean, I don't mean to brag, but I was kickball champion in fifth grade, can I play? And all of a sudden, relational evangelism begins to happen because of the group of people. And, you know, that all goes back to what Jesus said, that he said that they'll know you're Christians by the way you love one another. Relational evangelism. In Luke chapter 19, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, <laughs> this, this is that story, he's walking down the road, and a little short guy like me, Zacchaeus, he had to get up in the tree, and he looked up at him and said, Relational evangelism. Jesus was on his way somewhere, obviously. He's on the road. People everywhere. Blinders on, but no. He stops and looks up in the, in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Because <laughs> I had plans, but I'm going to come stay at your house today. And he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. When we are willing to hit pause on our plan and our schedule for the day, and welcome someone into our home or go and spend time with someone at their home or take that person to Chick-fil-A for a grilled chicken club sandwich with Kobe Jack cheese, <laughs> then 
then that's relational evangelism. And Jesus was the great example of that. I wish you were open on Sunday. <laughs> All right. I don't know where that stuff comes from. <laughs> oh, man. Relational evangelism. If, if it, me being here is completely, you know, it's even silly. You know, where I grew up and lived in Dallas, Texas, the fact that I would be raising my kids in Hog County, y'all, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, really, it's really a story. And when, when Brooke and I moved here, it, it seems like yesterday, because like this is only you know the the second part of our life. You know, it was growing up and in school and in Texas and everything, and being married, and and then this Florida and, and and ministry. This is our second part of our life, and so it doesn't seem like that long ago. But man, we were young, and you know had more hair, and <laughs> and when I met Sid. This, this relational evangelism stuff, it, it wasn't this program. It wasn't even a thing that was written on the wall or something like that. It's just what he did. And it was so, um, so different for me. So, so out of my comfort zone to, to talk to even the neighbor two doors down. Because it just, it just wasn't who I was. But I began to realize this wasn't just something that I needed to just get better at because I would be a better pastor or something like that. I began to realize that's who God's called us to be. I mean, if I stand up and say the things that I was saying to students and things like that all the time about how they have all this hope and joy and light and, and peace and rest that God alone has given them, why in the world was I not stopping everything I could do, to, doing everything I could do to, to stop my schedule and spend time with people so that they would become friends of mine and then eventually come to know him. And as I saw him do this over and over and over again, I realized, yeah, well, this isn't just something I'm going to start to practice. This is someone I'm going to have to become. Relational evangelism is a core value at Heritage, and it's easier to live out that way in a small group. The last one is this. And I end with this, but it really all starts with this. And that's intimacy with God. God desires an intimate relationship with me. That sentence alone should blow your mind away, especially for those of you like me who end up messing up a lot. Because growing up, there's a lot of times where people might make you think that God does not desire an intimate relationship with you because of your failures. That God wouldn't ever want to be buddy buddy with the person who is uh has all of these faults lining up behind him but yet we've already read today alone in scripture where that's exactly what jesus did was align himself up with the people that were the biggest mess ups and the people with the worst reputations in town it's exactly what he did and he was waiting to do that with you he wants an intimate relationship with you one thing that I hope is that, that each one of us will begin to want to live like that and to want to have that relationship with him. Because if we don't, it will be very, very difficult for us then to live out all these other core values we've been talking about today. How do you have relational evangelism? How do you introduce someone to Jesus that you don't even know that well?
How do you make family a core value when you don't have an intimate relationship with the man who created family? How do you do that? Because if you don't have an intimate relationship with Jesus, the man who created family, then what you believe about family will go like this based, based on which way the wind is blowing. How will people matter to you if you don't have an intimate relationship with the man who created people? Because you won't see people as the way he sees them. You'll see them as either friend or foe. Someone that's for you or against you. Someone that's great and helping you or someone that's just in your way. But if you have an intimate relationship with Jesus who created people and loves them 100% without stopping ever, then you will begin to see people that way too and people will matter to you. Intimacy with God is a core value. One of the, I want to bring up um, Melvin and, and Mark Mohan. Mark is in Melvin's small group, and I love this story told me because Mark started coming to Heritage, what, about a year and a half ago or so, something like that. I met Mark, and man, I love Mark. This guy is fun to be around, and he, he will come up after service and say, what do you mean by that? And and ask questions, and um, there you go. And he was so interested and curious about God. Is that fair to say? Yeah, very much so. And he, and he came to my office, and, and he would say, all right, I need to know more about this. I'm not quite sure. And we would, we would talk, and, and I would give him books, and he would read them, and we would talk. And, and, and intimacy with God is an integral part of living in a small group. And I, and I want you to just tell this story about, about Mark and him beginning to experience that intimacy with God. Okay. Well, when we first started our small group last year, we were in that kind of get-to-know-you phase. And so it uh, took a couple weeks of meeting, you know, week after week, for everybody to get comfortable with each other. It takes time. And so... Um, I think I picked on Mark about the second or third week and uh, just asked a little bit about his story. And one of the things that he struggled with was hearing from God. And just, he didn't know. He's like, you know, I believe he's there. I know he's there. I just never hear from him. Um, so we were intentional as a small group, very intentional that through the course of our time through this year, we intentionally prayed that God would speak to Mark in a way that Mark knew it was him beyond a shadow of a doubt. And we prayed that. That was our weekly prayer. Um, you know, and then we'd ask Mark occasionally, you know, how's it going? What's going on? And I remember, what, not even two months ago, Mark coming up to me, we we're standing out there, and Mark said something specifically to me about that, and you say it better than I do, so good. Yeah, it started uh, uh, last December uh, was when it really occurred. Um, I was at probably the lowest point in my life uh, at that point, and uh, uh, service had ended, and I was sitting in a, one of the pews by myself for a while, and uh, I just broke down. Uh, I was in a really, really dark bad place, and uh, some of my brothers from our group had, uh, had seen me and come over and talked to me, and uh, um, when I say I was at a bad place, man, I was in a really bad place, and um, 
thankfully they came over and they talked to me and um, they prayed with me. And uh, uh, within a week, uh, week and a half, uh, one of the biggest prayers I'd, I'd had in a long time was answered. And I know that it was God uh, because he was the only one that could have made that change. But since that time, there was, uh, I think what Melvin's referring to was that I have seen it four times um, with, since December where I am absolutely positive that what had occurred in my life was Jesus because um, I was praying to him and had given it up to him and said that I can't do it without him. And um, yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, I love my group, I really do. And uh, I can't be any more thankful to my, my brothers and sisters in my group. Thanks guys. <laughs> Intimacy with God, is, is a core value, and usually, you know, you think, okay, well, my intimacy with God is going to come from just me, you know, working as hard as I can at my intimacy with God, and, and there's really not anything that anyone else can do to help me, except that when you live in a group of people, um, there is help for that. When, when, you, when you say, I'm struggling with this, and, and someone says, okay, let's talk about what prayer looks like. Let's talk about what reading God's word and then how to understand it and then how to take that and then obey it. What does that look like? When, when you're on your own again, again, just like any of the other things we've talked about to date, that's a really long road to travel on your own. How many people have ever known someone who gave their life to the Lord, got baptized, and within a year they gave up on it because they just didn't get it? How often as the church have we failed by, by not having people involved with walking with, along with people like this so that they can move forward in their spiritual growth. Uh, God's desire is not for us to come to a point where we just say, okay, I believe there's a God. His desire is that people would become followers of Jesus, which means doing the things that he did. <laughs> Intimacy with God. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is in Psalm 63. And, and I read this this weekend as well. People don't talk like this anymore. But this is what intimacy with God looks like, I believe. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. If, you're, if you don't know Jesus like that, then my prayer for you is that you would start some sort of journey to become, to know him like that. That your soul would truly thirst for him. That you, you, everything on the inside of you would want him more than anything else. That's what he's saying. 
that he would gladly trade everything he has in his life for everything that is better in Jesus. So many times we think that by giving our lives to Jesus, we would have to trade what we have for something not as good. It's absolutely not the case. That when you truly surrender and give up all that you have, you are only trading it for everything that's better. I promise. One of Jesus' final instructions to his disciples, I've already said this, is found in John 13. He says, a new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is not saying that people will know we are Christians by how many churches we build or how many Bible studies we complete or how many prayers we say or how long those prayers are in front of people or how many people come to our church. The litmus test is clear that people will know we are Christ followers when we love each other the way that Jesus did. The only way people can see you doing that is for you to be around other people and loving them. If you live this individualistic life, this in one-on-one Jesus, just me and him and no one else matters and, and that kind of thing, no one can experience you being involved in a group where you're loving each other as Christians and saying, I want that because it's attractive. That's the test that will tell if you actually are a true believer and follower of Jesus or not, is how you love the other people that Jesus put on this earth with you. It's easier to, to hide away in the house and the closet and memorize God's word and never have to deal with people, right? Because people are a pain, <laughs> truly. But that's not what being a Christ follower is about. It's about embracing those people who bother you. It's about in loving and spending your life with people the way that Jesus put them here so that you could live as a community of God, a people of God. I've said it many times, you're a person of God because first there was a people of God that he chose for his own glory. You're one of them. You're not the one and it's just between you and him. You're part of something and you can't be part of something if you're not being participating in it. Our relationship, this is a guy, Francis Schaeffer, he's like one of those really smart theologians. He says, our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. Everyone around you, I was, I was talking this morning um, with Tatiana, everyone around you is going to be watching I see your whole family march into that lake last Sunday and be baptized and be excited about what Jesus is doing. And already, day one after that, it's been a battle, hasn't it? Satan is going to attack us. And everyone around us who doesn't really believe or isn't quite sure about what's going on, they're going to watch you. And the criteria they're going to use to see whether or not you truly are believing in what you're talking about is how you treat the people around you. How you love them the way that Jesus loved them. So, all of this said, small groups are, are vital. Missional communities is what we call them at Heritage because we don't want them to just be a gathering of a few people for Bible study. We want that to be a, a gathering of, of a lot of people with, with Bible study and, and living life together and also serving and being missional and relational evangelism and living out all six of these core values, growing, sharing, serving with a group of people. Now, if you go to our church website, it looks like this. 
That red arrow is not there, but I drew that on this picture so that you would see this box that says, find a group. Do you see that? If you click on that box, you will find a map that looks like this with these dots. Those 12 dots represent the 12 groups that we have available. Now, I will be honest with you. We have about 500 or so people total that come on a regular basis to Heritage. That's more people than we have groups for. My prayer is that God has been speaking to people who will say, I could do this. I could take a group and pastor them. I could lead them. I could gather them together and help them to love one another and live out these six core values together. I've never been a speaker or anything like that or a preacher, but I think I could gather a few people and love them, and I could show them how to love other people, and, and we could be uh, a missional to our neighbors and our coworkers and the, and the people that their kids go to the same school that our kids go to. We could do that. Because we need more of these groups. Not to say that look at all the cool small groups we have, but because I just got done telling you how important it is to live amongst these kinds of community, and yet we don't have enough people saying, I'm willing to do that and lead those. Now, that being said, if you are represented by one of these little dots in here, and you are a leader of one of these groups, would you please stand today? Go ahead. Look around. If you're not in a group, I want you to see some of these faces. Not everyone's here, but a lot of the, them are. These are some of the people who are leading missional communities in our church. And missional communities for us are going to run from September to May. It's a two-semester commitment. Some of them meet on Sundays. Some of them meet on Mondays. Some of them meet in the afternoons. Some of them meet in the evenings. We have a group that meets um, in Leesburg for just men. We have groups that are uh, of different ages, different people, different family, because people matter. I'm really less concerned about who you are or what you look like or what your family's makeup is like and more concerned about the fact that you will look at one of these dots and say, hey, my house is kind of close to that, and I'm going to make myself available on the time that they're meeting so that my family can be a part of a missional community. Does that make sense? Okay, leaders, you can sit down. When you click on one of these dots, click. A leader's name comes up with an address, a day, a time, an email, and a phone number. Now, it would be really wonderful if every single person that came to Heritage, all of these people, would get a personal invite to be in a missional community. And I know some of you, you really like that personal invite. And I want you to know that right now I am personally inviting you to go to the website, press the little dot, find out who leads the group close to your home or that's available on the day that you're available, and call that person and now invite yourself to their group. I've already talked to the leaders. If you call someone and they tell you you can't come to their group, you come and tell me right now. Okay? I'm not kidding. Because people matter. And because we don't have enough groups for everybody. And if you'll take the initiative to join a group, I want you to be involved in a group right now. And we're going to pray that over this next school year, people committing to being in small groups, that people will be discipled, they'll grow spiritually, they'll share life together, they'll begin to serve the world. And someone in those groups will say, you know what, I could do this and I'll take two or three families with me. And next September when we do this again, we will start another new group. And if that happens in every single group, then instead of 12 dots, there'll be 24. Right? So... 
all I can say is that this system isn't going to be perfect and someone will probably get their feelings hurt and someone will probably be mad and someone will be happy and it'll all just be normal life because that's the everyday life in my home. So do our best to take what we've got and to do growing, sharing, serving these six core values and live out the best that we can so that we can all be living and becoming the followers of Jesus that he wants us to be. Deal? This is as good as it's going to get. But I really believe that God is doing something. I believe that we're on the right track from the stories you've heard today, that he is doing some really incredible things in our midst. Was it not exciting seeing all those people marching to the lake last Sunday? God is moving. Absolutely. God is doing something in our midst. The meeting that happened in Fruitland Park Elementary the other day, we're on the right track, y'all. I promise. And if you'll get on board with us, and if you'll begin to grow in that intimacy with God, we're going to see him do some things that can only be explained, like Mark said, by Jesus alone, because he's the only one that could accomplish them. Okay? So today, go home. If you're married, you should probably pray about it with your spouse before you just sign yourself up for a group. That way we don't have a lot of people signing up for groups and then calling back and going, my wife said that won't work for us. Can we, you know, change and everything? Talk about it, pray about it. And uh, let's just see what God does, okay? Let's pray. Father, we love you. I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful for your people. I'm so grateful for the cross of Jesus, the blood of Christ that pours over all of us and washes away our sin to where we are pure and clean and made righteous before you. Not because of anything we've done, not because of joining a small group or showing up at church or reading our Bible, but because of what Jesus did, sacrificing all that he had for our own sake. We love you, Father, and we want to glorify you in all that you do. I pray that our small groups would grow. I pray that individuals would grow spiritually, that the intimacy with you would be off the charts over the next year. That we would learn to love you, that we would learn to love your people, and that we would make it our mission in life to build your kingdom alone. And I pray that you would convict us when we head the other way to build our own kingdom. I thank you for your presence this morning. Your Holy Spirit has been evident in this place the entire time we've been here, and I'm so thankful. We love you, Jesus. Amen.